RCMP shoot and kill man in Alberta, a police officer in Thunder Bay disciplined for how he oversaw an investigation, RCMP resistant to government promise to stop the use of tear gas and rubber bullets, and Canada sends military aircraft to Haiti. Good morning. It's Monday, February 6th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines for today. This morning, we have several stories related to police. Let's start in Alberta. A 45-year-old male from Cold Lake First Nation has died after what the Canadian press has called, quote, a confrontation with RCMP. Actually, the way that the whole story is written, it's so passive and confusing, it's really difficult to figure out what happened. Here's how they reported it. Quote, Police say in a statement that officers responded to a firearms complaint from a home in Cold Lake First Nation on Saturday morning and that they contained the residents and attempted to make contact with the suspect. They say there was a confrontation that resulted, quote, in at least one officer discharging a firearm. RCMP entered the home and the suspect, a 45-year-old male resident of Cold Lake First Nation, was found dead. Unquote. So fascinating. Was found dead. At least one officer discharging a firearm. So that suggests that there may have been many, many more. Doesn't actually say how many officers were on the scene and certainly doesn't give us any information as to why they were there beyond a reference to a firearms offense. The entire article is sourced from the RCMP statement, including mentioning that the deceased man had firearms in his residence. No officer was injured. Global News has the exact same story, sole sourced from the RCMP as well. In fact, if you search Cold Lake First Nation on Twitter, you'll scroll through the exact same story republished on dozens and dozens of media platforms. This is the problem, of course, with sole sourced articles where the police are the only source. We hear what they think we should hear. The case is being investigated by ACERT, the Internal Investigations Bureau of the province, Cold Lake First Nation is just over a three-hour drive northeast from Edmonton. And now to Thunder Bay, where a police officer is being demoted one rank for 18 months after misconduct hearing found that Staff Sergeant Sean Harrison of the Thunder Bay Police Services had been negligent in overseeing an investigation. This isn't the first time that Harrison has been found guilty of an offense under the Police Services Act for this investigation. Alex Brockman of CBC Thunder Bay said reported that last summer, Harrison was found guilty of two charges related to the same investigation. It was looking into the death of Stacey DeBungy from Rainy River First Nation in 2015. You might remember Rainy River First Nation being mentioned on the Daily News podcast a few weeks ago, as it was the location of a concerning APTN report into widespread sexual assault there. Brockman quotes the judge saying, quote, unprofessionalism, negligence, and bias failed Stacey DeBungy. Police bungled the investigation from the minute they found DeBungy's body in the McIntyre River. His family pushed and pushed for justice and have called for Harrison to be fired. Instead, over the years that it's taken for this investigation to happen, Harrison has been promoted from detective. As he's being demoted one rank, the article doesn't say what his new rank will be, but I guess we're expected to assume that he'll go back to being a detective for 18 months. Sean Harrison has been making more than $100,000 annually as a police officer working for the Thunder Bay Police Services since 2013. 
In 2021, despite the cases that swirled around him, he made $159,000 and nearly $7,000 in benefits. Another story from the Canadian press this morning, this one is about plans that the federal government has to ban the RCMP's use of sponge rounds and CS gas. Both sponge rounds and CS gas are used by the cops, mostly for crowd control. At the manufacturer's information page, they describe sponge rounds like this, quote, the 40 millimeter exact impact trademark sponge round can also be deployed in crowd control situations to protect the riot line or cover or enhance chemical munitions or targeting specific agitators or organizers in the crowd. When used in this fashion, it is primarily both a psychological deterrent and physiological distraction, serving as a pain compliance device to either get the crowd or subject moving or keeping them at a designated distance. I I love the honesty of the manufacturer's website here. A psychological deterrent used uh, to target specific agitators or organizers in the crowd, serving as a pain compliance device. Amazing writing from the manufacturer there. And CS gas is more commonly known as tear gas. Minister of Public Safety Marco Medicino confirmed that they want to see these two items outlawed. Journalist David Fraser jumped to critical reaction in the article even before he described what either tool does to protesters. In fact, he doesn't really describe what either tool does to protesters, nor did he talk to anybody about their experience of getting smoked by either tear gas or rubber bullets. Fraser writes, quote, The decision to restrict even the use of, quote, less lethal, unquote, alternatives to crowd control tools, such as rubber bullets and stronger forms of tear gas, has some critics questioning whether the federal liberals are playing politics with policing, unquote. Now, Fraser puts this pretty high up in the article. This actually comes right after he explains that the federal liberals are planning to ban this. So he inserts the criticism from RCMP supporters right at the top, giving the very clear frame of what he thinks of the situation uh, and also using this kind of idea of, quote, less lethal, unquote, which, of course, is complete propaganda because something is either lethal or it's not lethal. Less lethal is the same kind of language, of course, that the police use. The RCMP is not saying whether or not they'll comply with the government's plans. The first person quoted in the article, of course, is National Police Union President Brian Sove. And Fraser also quotes a professor from Western University who focuses on the idea that saying that CS gas is tear gas is wrong because it's, quote, unquote, entirely different. This is how Fraser writes about it. Quote, he said tear and rubber bullets. Yes, sorry, there's a typo in the article. He said tear and rubber bullets are, quote, very inflammatory terms, unquote, coups d'etat, or of police attacking people who've been marching for black civil rights outside of Selma, Alabama in 1965. Quote, I'm not sure why those terms would be used if the government was serious about looking at less lethal alternatives. Unquote. So here we have Fraser has sought out a professor whose only point in this article is to say that the liberals are being inflammatory by saying that these things are rubber bullets and tear gas. I mean, if we're going to talk about inflammatory, let's talk about what tear gas does to your eyes, which is inflame them. (laughs) And instantly saying that it's ridiculous to be calling them these terms because it brings up images of um, black civil rights and coups d'etat. Sorry, it's a really hard word to say plural when, you know, the S is kind of actually silent. So I didn't really know anything about CS gas. And in the same way that I looked up what the manufacturers said about sponge 
bullets or whatever, I looked up what CS gas is, immediately Googled it. I suspect Fraser did not, because if he had, he'd see the first thing likely that I came across, which is an article from the National Institutes for Health in the United States, which is the national body, the research body, it looks at, at, at uh, health issues. And the NIH article examined whether or not CS gas causes long-term damage. But here's the first sentence in the NIH article. Quote, CS gas, or 2-chlorobenzylidine melanin nitrile, is one of the most commonly used tear gases in the world, unquote. (laughs) Whoa, weird. Okay, so tear gas, that's what it is. The article says it had also been used as early as 1950, but it didn't become more commonly used until the mid-1960s says the NIH article. That would have been the same time as the Selva riots, for whatever that factoid is worth. And I didn't have time to try and figure out what the kind of tear gas was used at those riots. But it is possible that they were using CS gas. And if they weren't, who cares? It's all still tear gas. My God. Anyway, the article ends with a comment nestled at the bottom from L. Jones. And so I'll end with her words. Quote, I think the police are very much signaling to us, no one can tell us what to do, unquote. I don't usually expect this show to turn into media criticism, but this article from Fraser is so bad that here I am. So interesting that the liberals are calling for this. Great news that they're calling for this because, of course, both weapons hurt and harm people and, you know, apparently are intended to cause psychological damage. Like, what the fuck? Uh, But interesting to watch to see if the RCMP will agree. And if they don't agree, how the liberals will react to that. And finally, Reuters is reporting that Canada has, quote, said on Sunday it deployed a military aircraft over Haiti to address what it calls a dire security situation and to support efforts to disrupt the activities of Haitian gangs, unquote. Just like pretty much everything else I've talked in this episode, this article extensively quotes official sources related to, in this case, the Canadian government. That statement was released on Sunday. The CP-140 Aurora long-term patrol aircraft has already been released, says the statement. The statement also says that Canada is working with the Haitian National Police. Reuters reports that there's other countries who are reluctant to get involved in Haiti, though Jamaica said that they might be willing to do so. And then it just kind of ends. The article, just like Canada's statement, leaves far more questions than it answers. Again, we should be paying attention to Canada's involvement in Haiti, which over many decades has been questionable at best and very, very bad involved in a coup d'etat at worst. And with so little information coming out from the federal government about what exactly we're doing in Haiti and who exactly has invited us there, I think that this is something that we all need to keep very close attention to. Those are your headlines this morning. It is Monday, February 6th. I'm Nora. Have a great Monday and an amazing week.